pushing the boundaries of expectations, rewriting the rules of adventure are the reasons we get up in the morning. We share your hunger for a life without limits. Hello, KB. So glad to have all of you back with us today. This is a transformational podcast. And all of you in the audience know already, if you're kinetic believers especially, you understand that by transformational, this doesn't mean that you become something that you're not, but you are gracefully, beautifully transitioning into the greatest form of what you already are. StephenCanyon.com is the website. Hello, Miss Maggie. Hello, Mr. Stephen. Speaking of grace and beauty, how are you, my friend? <laughs> yes, that's me. <laughs> I'm so graceful. <laughs> Aren't you, though? Did you, did you find your golf drop, by the way? I did. Oh, I was crawling around on the floor right before we started. Well, you just don't want to leave that kind of thing. On the floor, sticky. You no, know, you don't want to find it on, on a late at a later date. Anyway. On your foot. <laughs> well, this is exactly. this is the last podcast of the week. And I know we, it until flies. Monday. Doesn't yeah. it fly by? Well, especially when you're what having fun, having fun. Yeah. No being, one does fly by. Experiencing success, living your best life. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So gifted. Yeah. Question for you. Okay. What talent <laughs> would you want to possess if you could? Oh, this is easy. Is it really? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I've always just wanted, desired so deeply to be a, just a, a very influential public speaker. Well, you are. No. You, yes, you are, Not too. compare. I see, no. I see you out there. You are so at home. You're almost more at home on a platform in front of thousands of people than just in one-on-one. I mean, you are so... <laughs> At home. And again, like I can do it. I can do it. But it is so difficult. Hmm. I mean, it's just like, I mean, I wish it was as simple as playing the violin. I think it's the contrast that gets me. Like for me to get on stage and play Mm -hmm. in front of thousands of people is very easy Mm -hmm. because I've done it since I was a kid. I don't remember not doing it. So, Well, that surprised me because I I think of you as being very comfortable in front of a... Well, I'm glad it comes across that way, but it is, it's Mm -hmm. very difficult and I get, I get quite nervous. So I have to go through so many, you know, hoops to, to get there. What did you think I was going to say? I don't know, but I think that that probably points to what I already think about you and that you do everything so well. So if you're, you're, you're pointing to you're pointing at something that I thought you already did well saying, I wish I could do that. Well, I feel like, I feel like a big part of lucky, (laughs) lucky. I feel like a part of doing things really well is also, um, you know, sort of letting yourself off the hook before you even do it. Right. Like, like there was this guy and he was, I don't even remember the setting. I think I was in college or something, but he was about to give this pretty big speech to a lot of the kids there. And he walked up on stage and he fell like face planted, fell walking up the stairs. And when he got to the mic, he said, I really thought for a minute about playing dead. <laughs> Instead right. of coming up here to face you, <laughs> they're going to have to carry me off. <laughs> so that wouldn't be a bad gimmick, you know. Fall and, and, be, and then get a good laugh, and just just tell everybody I was resuscitated on the other side of the wall. Exactly. So <laughs> anything you do is, is impressive. Well, what about you? What talent would would you want to possess if you could? Oh, I I would want to be able to sing like Dan Fogelberg. Oh man, that's a good I mean, one. You, and when you that's think of, you know, I'd love to be able to sing like so many different people. That's kind of a hard one to narrow down. But he's a good I, choice. Dan Fogelberg, yeah. Well, he can. His voice I can do anything, so. right. right? I mean, his range. His he, he has so many different types of music that he that he sang, and 
what a poet's Very stylistic. Yes. He didn't have just one gear. Ooh. That's what it was. You win this round. Yeah. That oh, was a I good one. Yeah. I'm like, I want to be a public speaker. Speak- <laughs> that sounds stupid now. <laughs> <laughs> it does not. Well, you know, speaking of wisdom uh, for talents, you know, wisdom for awakened living actually begins with knowing the universe is very generous. And Ooh, like with like you that. and your desire to be a public speaker, there's more than enough generosity in the substance of the universe to gift you, to bring that out into the open, to make that your baby, <laughs> to make yeah. that your thing. And it, I'm sure in, in the same way that, you know, and with, with the right practice and intention, not Dan Fogelberg, that wouldn't be correct, but my own version. Yeah. Absolutely that is achievable. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, I feel like you just tricked me into <laughs> assessing what I actually want to be manifesting. I never trick you, even though you're tricked. <laughs> but I tricked you. <laughs> no. no. But the source, you know, the source of all things, and that's what we're talking about, it withholds nothing. And it actually freely gives to anybody who believes mm. and also speaks, of course. Yes. Anybody. And with total confidence and without debate, There is, and I think this is probably where you got the answer to the question from, there is this symbiotic voice from within the cosmic realm that can be heard giving this transpersonal advice and guidance. The mere fact that you have a desire to be that public speaker at whatever grade you might give yourself, it didn't come from you. That Mm -hmm. desire comes from a place that says, hey, this is part of your purpose. This is located within your genius. You have the ability (laughs) within there. That's why you have the desire. I want you to turn this around and and be saying all this to you as well. well, This is why I have the desire, because I'm supposed to use it. We're talking about you today, Miss Maggie. (laughs) But, you know, with with so many contradictory inner dialogues that we talk about on the podcast all the time, those voices that say, well, you can't be a public speaker. You know you would faint and they'd have to carry you off? Or who do you think you are being able to sing like a Dan Fogelberg and all that stuff? Those inner voice contradictions from the inner dialogue, the incessant stories that we tell ourselves. The obvious question is, how can we know when we're hearing the inner voice of wisdom, the guiding light of our genius, the direction for purpose that is not setting us up for failure, to pass out on a stage, but setting us up to enjoy the experience of being this this dynamic public speaker. How do we know the difference? There is an immutable code that reveals the character of source when it's speaking, when it's talking to you, the voice of your creator. And it only tells you to do certain things that will add more life to your life. And actually, every, every change of course... You may think that you're going to do one thing, but you end up doing another that is adding life to your life. It's the voice that's telling you to to make the turn, and it's designed for the you to be able to attract favor from out of the universe, to attract abundance, to attract the adventure of public speaking or of me singing like I've never sang before. <laughs> and it also leads you into protection for your life. To keep mm. you safe and protected. Wow. It is the directive for the enfolding of your purpose. 
to enjoy. Um, you, you mentioned the voice, knowing the voice of the universe. And I'm wondering if, if, if you could compare that almost in a parallel to when you're a kid and, and you know your parents' voice or vice versa. Mm-hmm. If you're a parent, you, mm-hmm. you know, there are a thousand moms being yelled, but you know the tenor of your, of your child's voice. Is that the, sort of what you're describing. There, you do have the ability to recognize the voice, just like you would a parent. You know, there's a, a thousand moms being called from the playground, but the child um, or the mother knows the child's voice in the same way that you know the voice of the inner counsel. So now perhaps the question becomes, why are so many not experiencing life this way? It's because they simply haven't tuned to the frequency of their inner counsel for guidance. They're not paying attention to the mom that they recognize. And so it's it's the same as if you wanted to hear your favorite radio station at FM 100, station I used to work for, FM 100. <laughs> what, and, were the call, what was the call sign? Let's that was just it. FM 100. Oh, that's it? Yeah, we'll just leave it there. And But you would simply tune in and and listen. Okay. That's how you've listened to your favorite station. You, you know where it is on the dial, and you turn the dial to FM 100. Mm-hmm. The instructions are pretty simple for turning the dial, aren't they? Yes. Left or right. But you have to be willing to turn the dial. You have to know that you're going to get results when you land on FM 100 to turn your attention toward turning the dial. Mm -hmm. You have to observe. You have to look. You have to see the dial. You have to attentively turn the dial. Here's the deal. Most people never try. They don't reach for the dial. They never try to tune the station in. So if you're waiting for the wisdom of source, if you're waiting for the universe to speak, if you're waiting for God to send you to part the Red Sea, you may be missing (laughs) what is actually being said to you in this very moment. Your favorite song is being played right now at FM 100, and guess what? You're never going to hear it. So I'm, I'm finding myself wondering, you know, how exactly do we tune in? Because it's the specifics of this that I feel like we're all curious about because there are so many outcomes to this. We can, you know, think we're tuning in and then we hear something and then all of a sudden we're second guessing it. Was that was that true wisdom or is that, you know, the indigestion from lunch I had <laughs> I had yeah. earlier? So just knowing how, how can we attune ourselves to truly know that the sound of that voice the first thing to do is to recognize that you have the tuner Mm. and to agree with that and say yeah i believe that and it's the kind of belief that adheres to and relies upon the fact that you can turn your attention toward the inner counsel that you recognize as being the inner light the voice Mm. of wisdom this is making me think about when I was first learning to play the violin. Um, the way that I learned, and this is not how everyone learns, but you listen first. So we would always listen to the piece we were going to learn sort of all week. I mean, that's part of your rehearsal before you ever play a note. You're listening to the piece, so you have it mentally in your mind memorized. But the biggest part of that was understanding the frequency, knowing the exact notes you were going to be playing. So when you would put your finger down, your ear is already trained that it's either right or wrong. And so I'm wondering if you can overlay that with this. I'm thinking about the journal, for example. We know that what's written in the journal is inspired from the creator, from the universe. And so can listening to podcasts like this one and and journaling and reading those kinds of books, can that already help us sort of uh, pre-prepare ourselves for listening and then, uh, you know, 
knowing, knowing for sure that what we're hearing is that voice. Yes, and this is one of the things that we hear often from a lot of our listeners and the KBs is that they recognize the voice, they recognize the wisdom, and they hear their inner counsel through the uh, through the podcast, speaking to them, and they hear the the wisdom of light and love that's speaking directly into their hearts, and it's opening their eyes to the truth that already exists within. It's not redefining anybody. You're recognizing the truth of what's already within. That's a good point. We um recently it was the text message that went out this week, and someone wrote back, and they were just flabbergasted. They said, "I cannot believe you sent this to me. This is exactly what I needed. This is affirming. I was about to make this decision, and this just backed me up." So you know, it comes in all these different forms too. Right. Well, the inner counsel of your highest being will talk to you about the smallest things in your life. You know, it's not just those big ones where people will, even that have professed to not believe in a higher intelligence will start crying out to it for help in the biggest crisis of a life. We're talking about even the smallest of things. That's a relationary uh, mm. a position that you have with highest, the highest counsel. And it'll talk to you about the smallest things in your life that you need to change, adjustments that you need to make. Mm. And, and the wisdom is always clear. That's how you can recognize where it's coming from. There's no confusion in it. There's no... Uh, uh, wishful thinking in terms of maybe or maybe not this will happen or I hope this does or doesn't. It's never confusing and it's never filled with fear. And those are the dynamics of wisdom speaking to you. A few podcasts ago, I remember you shared with us a proverb and I know I'm paraphrasing here, but it basically said, if you can be entrusted with small things, then you can be entrusted with large Mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. Um, The universe will entrust you. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if that also goes for the voice. You just said that we need to make sure we're listening and communicating and receiving answers for even the small, what seem like small things in our life. Mm -hmm. And, And I'm wondering if it starts there. And if we're not even adhering to wise answers for the tiniest things, do we even have a hope of, you know, sort of advancing that into these big decisions? I love the nugget of wisdom that you just shared, because there's actually, it's a duplicit uh, meaning to that, in that not only if if the universe can trust you with the small things, it will trust you with the large things, but what it actually is saying is that if you will believe the universe to provide you and equip you with the smallest of things, then you are set up to also receive the bigger things things. Mm. So it is a relationary, it's a relationship that that's pointing to because the light of source, and that's what we're talking about, deals with you where you are, which most often involves helping you to get rid of things that are holding you back from growth and development. We see this in our lives all the time, things that we would have never imagined (laughs) being in the way of us getting from A to B. But then yeah. through enlightenment and transcending the, the carnal-minded state of being, the, the way that uh, you are relating and, and people are um, uh, being defined by things and people mm-hmm. and life experiences, those, the small things actually build a wall. And it's kind of like the border bullies. They, they build you in, into a small space yeah. and you're, you feel constricted. And you don't even know it until you become enlightened and transcend over those those obstacles, and then you <laughs> then you realize, hey, I'm growing. Yeah, I'm actually developing. I'm yeah. experiencing more life, and it's like uh, 
Who knew? Well, and you're right. These things that seem, you don't even notice them until you try to move beyond them. And I know I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but when we put everything in storage to travel and pursue a a different type of adventure for however long it lasts, um, it was tough. Like, I just had no idea. I had no idea I was emotionally attached to a couch. I did not know that until I had to just sort of put it away. All you needed to do was ask. I knew. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. <laughs> but it, but you're just so right. I mean, what's revealed through this process, this journey, really the journey of um of willingness is is it's it's amazing. It's revealing. It's well, fascinating. You know, I can go back a, a, a decade or so, and and I remember a time where um, for me to go to Europe for a length of time, which I was planning on doing, mm-hmm. I had to find someone to take care of a house plan. And until I could do that, my trip to Europe was off. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Small things, right? Yeah. Who knew? Yeah. But so, you know, we're talking here about being able to hear and understand the unctions of higher counsel and recognize its voice. But, again, this is all relationship. And it's not just up to us to be able to locate that voice. So how does the inner counsel of higher consciousness guarantee that we hear and understand its voice? Mm. Because there is a, a guarantee in this. Remember those distorted numbers, and you know, you don't have to think back too far. The letters on those web portals that, that challenge you, for example, when you make a mistake with a password. Oh my gosh. So I'm doing this all the time, you know, and you know them. A robot's verifying that you're not a robot. Right? <laughs> How does that even work? But it, it, what it does is it's presenting all these, these series of twisted symbols, and it's asking you to identify them correctly. And, and one of my favorite is, uh, how many crosswalks are there? It seems like, you know, I, I told you that yesterday. But we have to look at the, the uh, pixelated photo to discern where the crosswalks spill over into other frames mm-hmm. and then answer it correctly. It took me a long time to figure out these weren't all trick questions. And if you have just a little piece of a crosswalk going over into the other square, well, you have to count that one too. But now that's something that artificial intelligence, apparently it cannot do. It can't direct its gaze. How does it know you're doing it, but it can't do it? It has the answer. It just doesn't know how to get to the answer. So it it can't direct its gaze in that. And so it cannot assess one element against the horizon of all the others, in other words. Yet people do this all the time when we decide what matters and what doesn't matter. We can do that because we place each element into an inner horizon of understanding. The inner function of knowledge is what it is. And of all the creatures on earth, we alone can truly know something because to know anything is to set it in a horizon of understanding. Animals. And and computers, they can't do this, and they never will be able to. They don't have the grace of creative knowledge. And now, so what this means is, is that when we say that we have uh, been created in the image of the Creator, uh, this is what quantum particle physicists mean. When they say that we have the creative power of observation, exactly like that of the intentional bias, Well, that's responsible for the creation of the universe. Well, we, in the likeness of God, human beings have been given a knowing. There's a knowing that was implanted, seeded into you, into every individual human being. 
And there is also an ongoing conversation that's embedded within the fabric of space-time continuum. Continuous conversation. And all things are inherently fluent in this alpha bias language. And the inner communication, the guidance of wisdom, speaks to every human being through unctions, which is best described as wind-like transmissions. And these punctualities continuously reverberate directions for our living. And they're like the guy with the red batons waving at your plane after it lands, directing your aircraft to safely dock with a ramp. And you see him out there and he's frantically waving. and, (laughs) And usually everything works out just like it's supposed to. But in fact, the petitions for you to dock with the abundant life it's always there, are so one-sided that when you get around to, should you ever get around to kinetically believing to hold a thought form, an imagination within the dialect of the universe, you have the authority to produce the archetypal form from the substance of all things. The law of attraction has to respond to you. I want to unpack this a little bit. You gave us so much there. Um, you were talking about the the understanding, the horizon of understanding that we bring to the table with us when we're processing this information from the universe. Um, is that affected by our kinetic beliefs? So does everybody have this sort of same horizon of understanding or does the higher consciousness have a more attuned version? Does the ego have a false version? I want to understand that a little better. Well, there's not a possession of the horizon of understanding. The horizon of understanding, it, it just is. It is a place that is locatable within this realm. But the horizon, when one enters into that space, uh, reveals the understanding and the knowledge to wisdom. So it's really and, about what you're bringing into it. And your genius of purpose. Well, yeah. it's about bringing yourself into it. Right. Okay. It's bringing yourself into it absent identifying with forms and expectations, <laughs> mm-hmm. but bringing yourself into it in this meditative space of not being connected to um, being redefined by uh, life. And so that's where you transcend the, the natural to come into that horizon of understanding. The next part for me um, is going to be how you describe these unctions as as wind-like communications. And for me, when I first receive an unction, and I know it's from the universe, and, and it's there is a subtlety to it that's a perfect, wonderful way and visual to describe it, wind. Um, I, I'm obviously engaged with it in the moment, but then I have to say it's something that happens occasionally a few weeks later. I don't trust the unction. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. trust my ability to receive the unction. And so I'm wondering, how do I tether that? How do I take an unction that I know, I know, I know, I know I receive, but then how do I make sure that I sort of continue to stand on that as time moves forward. By making the modalities of your kinetic belief a way of life, because in the two weeks that you're talking about that come and go, those those original unctions have been challenged mm-hmm. by many other contradictions. And so the contradictions begin to weaken your resolve to, uh, to uh, hold on to those original unctions as articles of faith, mm-hmm. that you are dogmatic about not being double-minded about but without making this a daily practice to hold on to those those archetypal uh thought forms as your 
truth. Mm-hmm. Going back to your genius of purpose, then you're going to be challenged and it will be ultimately weakened. And the double-mindedness of the weakness will lead to departure. So it sounds like guided journaling is going to be the thing that is reinforcing the strength of these unctions as time as time comes and goes. I mean, that's what popped into my mind. Well, and it keeps you in the conversation. Mm-hmm. It keeps you in the constant wind of that the the unctions and the genius of your purpose being uh, uh, talked to mm-hmm. by the creative source. Wow. While looking through the lens of the Particle Collider at CERN, quantum researchers have been attempting to decode, recently discovered, these ancient shrouded conversations that are eerily filling the inner spaces of the universe. Remember, we live in a realm where nothing can be either created or destroyed, and that includes thoughts. That includes conversations that may have been had uh, 2,000 years ago. They still exist. And so... Uh, at any time in history, the Bible actually says that there's nothing new under the sun, and that's what it's pointing to. As a creator, created in the image of the creator, you and I, we all have access to all that can ever be or ever was. Mm-hmm. So the answer to uh, who are we, it's coming faster than those who write quantum mechanic formulas can even keep up with. And it's kind of like watching somebody as they frantically try to calculate ways that they can prove a ticking time bomb in their hand exists. Mm. It's here. We can see it. And God knows we hear it's ticking. (laughs) And so, and I'm telling you that providential intervention needs no introduction. Every human being has a knowing. You know, we're having this conversation and there should, there's not anybody out there that doesn't agree to an extent that, okay, I've got a knowing. I, I hear wisdom. Mm-hmm. I know when things that I shouldn't do or should do, there's, there's a knowing. And if you're refusing to admit that, then that's a different problem. What would you say to someone who um, maybe they haven't even committed to kinetic belief yet, and they're listening and they're saying, well, you know, I think that when I hear, I think it's just my conscience. It's just me talking, talking to me. I would say you're correct. <laughs> it is. It's the inner voice of your, of, it's either the, you are listening to the inner voice, the, the repetitious chatter of the ego that is redefining your, who you really are, who you came into the natural and into the land of the living to become. And so, you know, that's what I would say to you is that, the, when when you are when you go into those those uh, sessions of thought where you're confused, confusion is arriving because there are there is a conflicting inner voice. You you have unctions of wisdom that are being challenged by the ego that wants the other thing. Uh, if there were not the the combative issues being debated between your higher essence of being and the ego, then there would be no confusion, and you would be like a wolf chasing after the prey uh, without wondering if you should or not. I think it's really interesting that even if we have a fundamental misunderstanding of how our inner voice is working, how our ego is working, how the highest consciousness is working— um, it doesn't turn it off. <laughs> it's still functioning, mm-hmm. even if you don't quite see it for what it is. That's, right. 
Yeah, sort of and, wonderful. And we can see this in all walks. I mean, and you can see it in, with religionists and philosophers and certainly in science. And mm-hmm. I mean, recently, while nervously eavesdropping into the, these vast reaches of the quantum world, there are quite a few nihilistic researchers whose job it's been to search for the ontological answer to the question, who are we? I don't think I'd want an answer from them. <laughs> and, well, it, but, you know, grants, they, they're working for a living. This is their job. Who are we? Who are, who are us humans on this planet? And, but the answer has been decoded. And, and if actually, actually, and we had uh, a few months ago, when was it a few months ago? Maybe it was a year ago. Time is flying. But anyway, we had, <laughs> we, we had uh, breakfast <laughs> with a, a personal friend of ours, a physicist, yeah. and that literally, and he was telling us this, has been terrified by the answers that are being revealed. And he left, he left England about uh, three years ago, and he gave up his research and is now quietly living in the Rocky Mountains while avoiding any more conversations about the intentions laid bare uh, uh, that reveal how all things were created by a creator. Now, in other words, the decipher to heaven's language has been exposed. And what religionists have been struggling to explain for a couple thousand years it's, is that there is there's non-empirical evidence for all things created previously hidden within the vernacular of the inner unctions, that that continuous voice that we're talking about of wisdom that's always speaking. This makes me think about the theory of relativity, because when Einstein first theorized that, um, he wasn't proving it mathematically, but he, he was theorizing it in a way where he just knew, as you say, in his knower, that that is how things work. And just because they only recently were able to prove his theory, it doesn't mean it wasn't functioning in between. So I love from then until now. So I love this concept that, you know, our faith and our belief, it's, it's the top dog. It's the thing that everyone has been living by and functioning by. These laws have been in place since the beginning of creation. And, you know, science and all of these different uh, fields of study, they're just now catching up to it. And the exciting thing is, is that it's not just pointing to the creative uh, power that's out there. But it's illuminating the creative power that's within every single one of us. Yes. Which, you know, if you jump ahead just a little bit of the experiments, you can clearly see that that's where the illumination is headed. Because within this universe, everything has a first. Everything does. There was a first thought. And it was so perfectly eloquent, it erupted to inflate the universe with so much energy that it appeared as light. And the power of the rushing molecular wave function unfurled with so much kinetic energy that no event horizon could contain it. And the rest is, well, it's history, isn't it? But that first pulse of particle entanglement manifests throughout the cosmos. And voila, how are you today? (laughs) I'm doing just fine. Thank you very much. (laughs) Well, and something I love about this is how the the belief, the kinetic belief was already there. You know, we were already participating in cosmic kinetic belief that was that's that's catapulting us into this eternal, beautiful, powerful, highest consciousness realm. And everything that we're learning and all of these experiments are simply backing up what we already believe. So I like I like this concept. We we're not believing and we're not believers because of what we read and see in these discoveries. But it's sort of like an underpinning 
to what we were already functioning in. And it gives us even mm-hmm. more sort of juice uh, in this process. Yeah, that's good. And underpinning to what we were already functioning in, because it has taken a lot of time for the contradiction to take root and to, to tangle with the truth that is eternal. Because talk about explosive and mm-hmm. quick manifestations of getting what you want fast. Just go back in time before there was ever enough time for the contradiction to uh, have its debate and its arguments to try to convince uh, the truth of reality that it's something that it's actually not. Now, before you wonder why your stuff takes so long to manifest. (laughs) Where's my stuff? (laughs) Where's my stuff? You should know something. That during the first moment of inflation, that very first moment, a second thought didn't even exist. So without any kind of a challenge or a challenger to contradict the first thought, that first desire, it was an absolute. It was pure, and there was no resistance, none. And the first thought was an imagination that was free from any kind of radical or opposing ideas or second thoughts or any kind of friction. It's kind of like a formal ballroom cotillion, isn't it? Particles on the way to the dance, and they found partners for the waltz. And the choreography revealed in particle entanglement, it was just so magical and so intimate. And it really is, it's just a dance without end. But then the contradiction shows up, and there's a little bit of friction on the way to the waltz. I have to say, when you, um, I don't know if any other listeners felt this, but when you first said that you described the purity of that original thought and that there was no contradiction. I felt emotional. I felt sort of a surge of, well, emotion. I almost teared up because just of the vision of that, the purity of that, and and not just the purity of it, but our connection to it mm-hmm. as, as in this is how it was supposed to be. And the contradictions are the, um, the, the emotional challenges. Yeah. The, the contradictions are there to the, distract you and to try to convince you that something that you're something that you're not. Well, and I like this this notion that they are and, and the truth that they are the ones the contradiction is the thing that's out of place. Mm-hmm. The contradiction is the sort of the freeloader, the thing that has inserted itself into the purity of our existence and it's not supposed to be here. And I think that gives a lot of a lot of weight and a lot of importance to this journey because we're we're quite literally having to overcome this to maintain the purity of existence, to maintain that beauty of that original mm-hmm. thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the contradiction is the second thought. Mm-hmm. It's the second thought. Those first cosmic thoughts are still vibrating. The the purest of imagery and the archetypes of every possible conceivable, fathomable fantastic, beautiful, great thing. Mm. It's still in its purest form. And meanwhile, even though our talk can be cheap and often stupid, we, we, <laughs> we, we are, we're still allowed, we're still allowed in on the ongoing conversation with heaven. That is, uh, whenever we want to talk about Aligning with our genius of purpose, the essence of our being, when we want to have that conversation, we're invited in. Okay, so I have a question here, and it's a big question, so I hope I'm not just redirecting anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm wondering if it, is there a potential for the world to 
transcend to the point of overcoming contradictions permanently? Are we always, no matter what, how many generations come and go, is our highest consciousness always going to be sort of in this warfare state? Mm -hmm. Or is this something that, hey, eventually... It, the evolution will carry us across the finish line. The eventually is now. We are, for the first time since humans have walked the planet Earth, we are in a state of awakening, and it is worldwide, and consciousness is becoming us. There is an awakening that's taking place, and the mere fact that, Megan, you and I are sitting here day after day having these conversations shows that that door has been slung open. Yes. And it's not unique to us. This is within everyone. That awakening is occurring because of the knowing that's already there and the unctions are becoming louder and louder and and the exercises of of uh, feeble humanity in pursuit of its egoist interests is falling to the wayside and proving to be fruitless. Well, and not just our conversation, but think of the thousands of thousands of listeners that are participating with us. And you're so right. That's proof. It's proof that there's mm-hmm. sort of a an ignition that's taken place and it's sweeping across the planet and we have arrived. And wow, that's yes. very cool. Yeah, we would not have had this conversation conversation 150 years ago. We would be simply sitting around talking about how the Industrial Revolution is finally here and it's going to save humanity from itself. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> you know, so. we're out there picketing like, yay, coal. <laughs> right. <laughs> I heart coal. Well, because here's the deal. <laughs> Unless you are intentionally oh, well. turning the dial to tune in to FM 100 for the Council of Wisdom, you're just like a lost drifter upon a vast sea who's sending up flares that are tracing into the night sky that are beckoning things not yet seen to come. And one way of aligning your receptor to receiving the revelation knowledge that we're talking about is to first draw your attention away from forms, mm-hmm. away from labels, from whatever you do for a living, from all everything that has a label, from identifying with what's around you. In other words, stop entertaining the imagination of thoughts in your moment, in this moment, uh, for seeking the essence of your higher being. Mm. In fact, here's something that I, I want uh, everybody to do this weekend, you and myself included. Okay. okay we're in on An this. An assignment. Get away from the familiar noises of your life, whatever they are. Don't say, and I'm not talking about those that you think are bad, all of them, whatever is familiar, the, those, those interests, the noises of your life. Look around when you've done this. And my favorite way of doing this is you know, going out into the forest, and we'll take some nature rides. We'll, we'll take our bikes and go up into the mountains. And then when we get there, let's make sure that we look around and feel the sensations of our body. And notice... Every tension, every point of pressure, create a, a comfortable space for your feelings of relief and breathe. Focus on your breath. Breathe in and focus on that and let it slip out. And then get away from the details of what you see. Allow the colors to be in the sensations, but don't think tree. Don't think flower. Just let it be. And move into the colors of your environment. Those patterns of light that you are perceiving. Fill your space that you're occupying with the quiet of what is, not what should be, but just what is. 
from that place wherever you're located, all is well from there as it should be. Now allow timelines to dissolve. Because the mindful management of restrictions, they will begin to fall away. They are not yours to to carry the load of anyway, even though they do still exist. You are not the bearer of those things. Now feel the presence of peace as it expands around you. You can see the energy of it. It's like a smoke, a wisp of smoke and vapor moving out from you. Sense it. See it. It may seem like present peace won't last when you think about it. So don't think about it, not even for a moment. Emotions and feelings, they don't last either. They come and go. And that's why we should never allow ourselves to be controlled by our emotions. Let them come and let them go. All positive experiences are attracted from our center of present peace. It's from the energetics of the now, where the present tense gratitude for nothing missing or broken or wrong attracts to manifest your best life. The awareness of how something could be better from the center of present peace, it will only produce unpleasant feelings and regrets and doubt and worry or fear. But by looking within from this moment, for the full extent of what is, you awaken the reality of your original self. And from this present place of peace, from the now, rather than responding in the habitual way of being, let go of control. And like a butterfly, see yourself emerging from stillness, from the center of yourself. Life's circumstances are revealed either by default or on purpose. We either develop to become more on purpose or diminish to become less by default. Without purposeful thought, life is like standing waist deep in the ocean. Wave after wave, it'll knock you down and drag you around. However, through the manifesting power of kinetic belief, one is rescued from the consequential tides of persuasion. The world as it is, is it's irrational and it's irate. Its hunger cannot be satisfied and its, its thirst can't be quenched. The anxiety of starvation is suppressive and it will devour whomever it may. In the attempt to end the pains of hunger, even so it's possible to enjoy the things of this world without being terrified by the bellows of fearful energetics. So from this center of your present peace, delight in the dance of creation while remaining detached from all the demands of reasonings. 
It's the make me happy, take care of me, and tell me what to do that the world cannot supply for you. It's when you come to the end of hoping for those things that your agonizing will come to an end. The space between those delusional thoughts has the provision for your original vision, and it's the center of present peace that all things are possible for those that love from there. At any time, during any moment, centering yourself to unattached space within disassociates you from the contact of what could have been. Albert Einstein said that a human being is part of the whole called by us universe, a part limited in time and space. He experiences himself, his thoughts and feelings as something separated from the rest, a kind of optical delusion of his consciousness. This delusion is a kind of prison for us, restricting us to our personal desires and to affection for a few persons nearest to us. Our task must be to free ourselves from this prison by widening our circle of compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole of nature in its beauty. You know, the inner sanctum of the calm of you where all is well attracts to manifest more good than any forward or past thought could have ever imagined. And it is from here, at any time you should choose to enter, that it is so good that it has got to be true. Well, just say this out loud. Say, I'm beautifully made. I'm beautifully made. From the substance of great wealth. Mm, from the substance of great wealth. And from health and from wisdom. And from health and from wisdom. I am these things. I am these things. Therefore, I am these things. Therefore, I am these things. I am flowing in the direction of well-being. I am flowing in that direction of well-being. Which is flowing to me which, and through me and out of me. Which is flowing to me, through me, and out of me. I am optimistically happy. I'm optimistically happy. Because love dwells within me because love dwells within me i don't have love i don't have love i am love i am love i am manifesting the universe around me i'm manifesting the universe around me and whatever i unwaveringly choose to believe and whatever i unwaveringly choose to believe attracts the abundance mm, it attracts the abundance of that thing of that thing of those circumstances of those circumstances those people those people to me to me a wonderment a wonderment for observing the beautiful for Observing the beautiful, abundant life around me, abundant life around me is increasing my awareness. It's increasing my awareness. It's strengthening my body. It's strengthening my body and satisfying my soul. And satisfying my soul. Wow, that is absolutely going to carry us through the weekend until we can reconvene in this sacred space on Monday. Sending out so much love and light and positivity to all UKB creators all around the world. We'll see you again on Monday. Wow, and thanks so much for all the wisdom today, Steve. Bye.